Hello, my name is Miguel Resendiz. I'm a marketing professional, entrepreneur, and the host of this podcast, Midcast, a program where we discuss how to monetize your talent, ideas, and show examples of people who have successfully done so in the past. In this podcast, we aim to bring the best business and life insights to help you materialize your goals. An open mind will go a long way in this program, so fasten your seatbelts and get ready for the show. Today, I have the pleasure to talk to a lecturer from UBC and SFU in finance, as well as the director of learning at uh, financetraining.ca. So how are you, uh, Mr. Emrul Hassan? Uh, hey, Miguel, uh, really good. And um, it's good to meet and talk to one of my ex-students one again, once again. And uh, I'm, do I'm doing good. Everything is fine. It's closer to the Christmas. And hopefully this whole COVID-19 is over by next year. Yeah, I really yeah. hope so. So I, I know you're not a public figure yet. You probably will be at some point soon. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Who are you? And how did you make it to be a director of learning in Canada or a lecturer in one of the best universities of Canada? Yeah, so um, I came to Canada in 2009 from Bangladesh, from the city of Dhaka. I did my undergrad over there in finance and economics. Then I came here to do my master's at York University, Toronto. Okay. So after that master's, I thought, you know what, teaching is something that I'm really passionate. I like it because before that, I used to work in investment banks while I was doing my undergrad and after my undergrad. And I, had a, I also have a CFA, so it made it easier to work in uh, investment banking. But did then you, I saw... Uh, then I saw sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Did you work in investment banking in Bangladesh or in here? Yeah, I did. I did. Okay. Okay. I still do a lot of consulting here and there, uh, but those are all on um, through my own personal consulting. And uh, because I don't have a lot of time after teaching uh, economics, finance, as well as CFA courses, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, then I came to Canada. After coming to Canada, I uh, did my master's and then I decided to do my PhD in finance from SFU because I wanted to get into teaching. So uh, while doing my PhD, I was teaching at SFU for almost two, three years as a sessional, uh, mostly investments and corporate finance courses. But now I joined UBC as a lecturer of economics and I teach a lot of, we do of course include a lot of finance and econ courses together, but it's primarily uh, macroeconomics and financial economics. So when I hear that you're, I mean, you're all about economics and finance and I, yeah. do, I, I did take an economics course with you. And yeah. I think it was one of the hardest courses <laughs> in, my, in my degree. So yeah. it was, uh, but it was, oddly satisfying when I was doing the course because you know you were really good at bringing bringing this knowledge back to our our, our daily life um, I remember one of the exams in one of the exams you you made a question about church's chicken um, yeah. and and you know it was something that we could visualize we were like okay you know this church's chicken and then on the other hand I have to solve one of their problems with this um, you know, like this e economic theory and then mm. apply some calculus on top of that. Yeah. And, and I was like, that, that's something I have, I was not expecting from a professor <laughs> at SFU. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, at the, but, but at the same time, it really allowed me to visualize how it will, it will help. And once yeah. you visualize how it will help 
the daily person, or like the day, the normal person, then you you become aware of how useful this is. And I feel uh, every time I, I took like, for example, business 312, which is uh, fin financial, uh, just like regular finance, I think. I forgot yeah. the yeah. exact yeah. name. Yeah. yeah, so that one, I remember we, we were kind of struggling to see the use of it, uh, except for the mortgage calculation part of it but most of most of the other calculations we were like eh, this is kind of weird and we didn't really get why it would be useful and i think that's what happens to a lot of people not only with this content but also with math and other and other content uh, that's kind of uh, analytical and uh, quantitative yeah. so do, do you have like a, a theory or anything on why people you know stay away from these topics and then they just want to take maybe qualitative courses or qualitative uh, careers? Yeah, I mean, this is a kind of a situation I was in too as a student. Um, when I first came to Canada, I was very uh, honored and lucky to have some finance prof back home in Bangladesh. Um, I should even mention the name. He's uh, Zunaid Khan and then Tashfin. These are amazing teachers back home. So what they always used to teach us from practical perspective, you know, Mm -hmm. And I found those courses really interesting because look, the theories are dry, very, very dry. If you look at finance and econ theory, and if you don't show the students how these are applied in real life, they're very less motivated. So I'd see the student comment evaluation and thank you so much for mentioning this too. Mm -hmm. they, they, they mentioned this, you know, Emrul goes over uh, practical stuff, day-to-day -day stuff in a life. At the same time, we cannot be harsh to um, any professors because look, we only have 12 weeks to finish a course, right? Yeah. So it, it's difficult for teachers to uh, implement both practical and theoretical uh, stuff in a course. But I think that courses should have a practical component going forward. And that's another way we can make people interested. But at the same time, look, uh, in, in big universities, like let me give you a difference between big universities versus a small, colleges or small universities, right? Okay. So in a big university, uh, what I know that the focus is always on theory, you know? Okay. So because they expect our undergrad to do a master's and some of them to do master's, some of them will become a PhD student, you know what I mean? And they become a researcher uh, later. So you cannot tone the quality down to practical only because even though this is kind of harsh to majority of the student, yeah. Even the majority of these students will go into the industry and work there, not going to be a teacher or academic, mm -hmm. but you cannot really tone the topic down. You have to still teach theoretical way in mm -hmm. those big universities. But in small colleges, I used to teach in Douglas College, BCIT, uh, and so many other colleges. I saw the learning is more practical in those colleges because they are preparing students for the industry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I and I saw that too. I remember you mentioned it actually that um, the courses in in BCIT were a bit tougher. I mean, the same course, you know, um, yeah. the same course that we were taking, you were teaching also in BCIT, and you said, "Look, these guys are doing a lot more than you guys are doing," and and that's just the nature of the college, right? That's just yeah. how, how it works. Yeah. There. And yeah. I, I I found that really inspiring because then I I, I even took a an internship in Germany. Uh, and we were hiring engineers and all of that. And we we had a preference for SFU engineers for some reason. But but then when I was doing the recruiting, I was like, no, we should go for BCAT people because these, these guys are doing more practical stuff, right? More hands-on, yeah. 
and and then I I did communicate with VCIT, but they they didn't have any anyone at, at the moment. So then yeah. we we didn't end up hiring any interns from there. Yeah. But at the same time, I I, I always found it fascinating how um, how these colleges are preparing people to to the you know to the industry. And mm. and to to one extent, I think you're right. Uh, universities do focus more in theory, but. Mm. So what do you think is, I mean, as a teacher, have you tried to change a little bit the status quo or is there- no, I, would, I, would, I would personally would never change it. I would just, the reason being, because if you also look at the universities, they also recruit the top tier students. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if I have to rank students from best to worst, universities, top universities actually take the best crop of a student. So even though, like think about you, Miguel, even though you've learned theories mostly, but mm -hmm. now, right now, because you're smart enough, you've learned so many things by yourself mm -hmm. and you're now applying them in real world. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it. But at the same time, I probably, in I can't talk about other teachers, but I would always like to add some practical component, either through cases studies or maybe through smart questions or maybe software, a component at least, let's say in my courses. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't want to change this setting in the universities because I know exactly why they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. The reason makes sense right now, but I still yeah. I, I still face that concern that people are not paying enough attention or they don't really know that yeah. this is important content. And uh, if we go, if, even if we go to the to the most basic uh, part of education, right, like math, for example, mm -hmm. everybody has math since grade one. And yeah. And everybody says, look, I mean, even, this is even encouraged by, by the parents. Um, even my dad told me, look, I haven't done a root square since I finished school. And I'm like, yeah. well, you haven't, right? But yeah. right now, I think most people will need to know how to take, how, how to apply calculus, especially if you're going into like any sort of uh, technical university or technical yeah. career. Um, yeah. I, I did begin my marketing degree because I was kind of afraid of math. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to take me away from math. But then as, as I learned math at SFU a bit more, I actually joined the math student union for a while. Yeah. And I became more, more, um, I became more knowledgeable and yeah. I kind of found the passion for it. So, so then I started taking more stats courses and to be able to create better segments and just more practical stuff. And then you realize there is a use for it. But I, if, if you don't, my my entire point here is if you don't realize the the use, I think the students will be less motivated to do it, and that's and that that's a big um, that's just a big concern. Maybe there should be some modification there. Hopefully, the universities you know evolve as as, as yeah, they're they're actually evolving. They're actually evolving, and I am in a curriculum committee at UBC of econometrics. Okay, and we are we recommended this in our memo that you know what. Um, things have changed significantly. The world is moving towards machine learning, big data and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. We can't really just keep teaching people theory. We need to implement some practical aspect to every different course. So yeah. schools are definitely changing, mm -hmm. but, uh, but I just wanted to explain why universities are more theory focused yeah. versus uh, colleges. But at the same time, I understand if I'm a student and if I only learn theory in a course, most students are not going to be motivated by this, right? They need to see right at the beginning of the course, like how it's applied in the real life. 
mm-hmm. or maybe throughout the course and then they will be more motivated to come to school and in the classroom and then participate right for sure um and this brings me to to yet another uh, important topic and this kind of i mean i have been approached by so-called finance experts recently yeah. and, <laughs> and they yeah. and they're like they're younger than me right yeah. they're usually like 20 20 22 years old or yeah. some people around my age right 25 26 yeah and these guys oftentimes tell me look finance is not hard i'm gonna teach you and i'm gonna coach you and, oh my goodness yes <laughs> and then I'm gonna help you make good investments. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna teach you what uh, financial literacy is, and and look, I'm I'm the kind of guy that really likes to give the chance of, yeah. to, to people. I oftentimes give them an ear for for a yeah. bit, yeah. but then as soon as they they bring up uh, Robert Kiyosaki, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, yeah. He he's a he wrote a book. Poor dad, rich dad, or something. Like yeah, that. yeah, I know. And and then they say, look, what what school taught us about uh, assets and 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 liabilities, all of that stuff is wrong. Let me teach you about how it works. <laughs> and then I'm yeah. like, what? And then they kind of try to redefine the meaning of things. And then they and then they try to tell you a very simplistic theory of how to become a millionaire in the next five years right <laughs> yes so uh miguel i have i have i can talk about this for hours you know what i mean <laughs> and for hours and um, first of all two suggestions one is uh i mean I stay away from these people right but you're doing the right thing what i do when i first came to canada because as an international student it was difficult to find a job for me Right, mm-hmm. I was still looking for some part-time job while I was doing my masters. Yeah. So people approach me like this too. I'm not going to mention the company names, but they approach me. Hey, uh, can you be a financial advisor for us? It's basically they're teaching us random stuff, and we have to go and sell to starting with our family and then yeah. friends and other people, like selling insurance or maybe selling investment products that those is those people have no clue, but we do have clue what's happening. Yeah. Right. So I. Uh, I would say still listen to them, at least know the industries, but yeah. don't really uh, make them run your money, which I'm going to come back to it later about mm-hmm. how you can take control of your own finance, right? Yeah. So that, and don't let other people run your money like this and because they aren't commissioned out of it, you understand this. And not always, not always, all of them have the best interest for you. So. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, um, this is kind of sound very weird because no professor will probably tell you this. It's, I actually do not read a lot of books, <laughs> right? I read the books, like if I need to, for example, let's say a textbook where I have a lot of theory and practical stuff, you yeah. know? I teach econometrics at UBC. Of course, I read books, but it's mostly what I'm trying to say. Look, uh, I wish I could show you now in my shelf behind me. Yeah, I do have uh, a book called Blue Strategy, How to Make Money Faster. I get all of this for free. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And, I, and also look at this trillion dollar uh, psychology of money. They're, they're, they're best New York, New York bestsellers. But you know what? If I think... Completely honest of with you, I've never even op- opened them, even for <laughs> once. 
And who the reason is the, the reason is Miguel. The thing is that of course we learn by looking at successful people. The guy who wrote um, "Rich Dad Poor Dad" book, right? I've gone through uh, the profile. Anyway, so look, people who make money, let's say from trading, suddenly you'll see. I I even know people who started with ten thousand dollar in the stock market and made four million in a couple of years. Yeah. Right. It happens, but how many people are able to do this? You got to understand this, right? Yeah. So it's not even one percent people, and when you read these stories and you kind of have a tendency of follow their life, what they have done, but everyone's life is different. You know, and, and I, I learned, case, sorry, keep going. Yeah. So what I learned mostly from my own life, to be honest, like what I've still recommend people, you need to have some sort of a, no matter what your background is, you should have basic finance knowledge. This is why I teach CFA and that's not favorite course to teach, to be honest, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm not asking people to become a CFA. That's a different story. If you are a finance major or econ major, you really wanna get into investment banking, you should do CFA, no doubt. But I don't even tell people to do CFA. I tell people to do at least CFA level one. So you learn the comprehension and the basic concept of finance. So even if your money is handled by big banks like TD, RBC, you know exactly what they're doing with your money. You're more educated than. Yeah, so I remember when, so when I when I opened my TFSA account. Yeah. Um, so they put me with this guy from Scotiabank. Yeah. Then he was, you know, like the, he was telling me, yeah, well, this is a future value that you could get. They're very conservative. So they're not really trying to sell you on anything. Uh, that's yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah. But they, they tell you, yeah, this is the, the, the value that you may be able to get. Yeah. And well, he was telling me that, like, you know, he was giving me the numbers and I was plugging the future value formula on, yeah. on, on a piece of paper. And I was like doing the calculations. And the, and the guy was a, a bit scared because, you know, like <laughs> these formulas, once you start yeah. putting the values in, they, yeah. they can get quite complicated, right? <laughs> it is, it is. And look, if you have to go, look, uh, my money is also managed by banks because I'm, I'm more of a passive investor. Okay. Right. I do have investment in some private placement. I do have investment in real estate and other things, mm -hmm. but a lot of, a major, uh, quite a bit of money is actually handled by mutual funds. Right. Yeah. So you can actually do those for big banks because they're more conservative. They have more educated financial advisors. Yeah. They are paid, they're paid salary. You know what I mean? Not only commission, also yeah. salary. Yeah. But I'm talking about, you know what I mean, right? I'm yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about those finance experts. They think they have done nothing in their life in yeah. terms of finance, just did a certificate. That's it. Are able to sell the, uh, uh, sell the product to you. Right? Yeah, for sure. They don't necessarily have your best interest in mind, but mutual funds are different. As long as you do, like, you know exactly what they are. And this is what I'm talking about, Miguel. You did the right thing. You're sitting there, you know exactly. They have every information online. You go, you can find out all the Scotia Bank's uh, mutual fund and mm -hmm. go over them and which one fits your profile the best and tell them, you know what, I want to buy this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And I, I I agree with you in that. And it is, this is one of the, the things that I'm still kind of uh, concerned though. And like, I, will, I would like to, to, to ask maybe for your advice. How do you spot the the professionals or like the people that kind of have your, your, in, I mean, nobody will have your best interests other than you. Right. But who, who has this professional attitude towards selling you the, these financial products and who has this scammy kind of attitude towards yeah. 
getting you into their products. Uh, how, how do we, what are the key points that we should look into to, to figure out uh, if, if they're trying to just, you know, sell us some garbage mutual fund? Yeah. How, how do you say that? How do you find that out? Okay. So first of all, I would like to, again, reiterate this. Look, most people probably have the good intention. You know what I mean? Yeah. There are few people, they don't have the good intention, right? They just don't really even know the product that they're selling it to you. Yeah. Right. So for that, what I would say, I would ask for more information. For example, most mutual funds need to have detailed performance report for the last uh, they for the last 10 years and five to 10 years. And they even will are supposed to tell you exactly where they're investing. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Exactly, let's say 60% equity and 40% fixed income. And within the equity, what kind of equity? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which companies they're investing, right? For example, when I knew at the beginning of COVID-19 that I knew the tech industry is going to do well. It's obvious, right? So yeah. what I did, instead of just buying tech industries individually, I went and bought a tech-focused mutual fund. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah. So I, I can actually download the PDF and see exactly which companies they're investing and it's more diversified versus just investing on only one company. You know what I mean? Yeah, I right. I, I get that a lot. And okay. so when I have I have actually been managing my, my own portfolio for a while. Yeah. And and I I feel honestly I don't feel comfortable uh, buying uh, you know trust funds and stuff. Yeah. Just yeah. because I, I feel that I mean they're basically choosing uh, a portfolio, probably a very professional financial uh, analyst is doing that. Yeah. But I am, I'm always the kind of person that likes to know What's why I'm here? putting this money in here. Yeah. And also I like to, I like to buy individual stocks and, yeah. and kind of manage it on my own. Yeah. That's At your age, I've done this, right? Mm -hmm. I used to do this uh, when, uh, when I was at your stage, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, it's all about the way I explain this to my students. They often ask me this question where they should invest, right? So mm -hmm. I tell them, let's say most of my CFA level one students or my undergrad students who are in their second, third year or fourth year, I always tell them, you know what? You should trade. I don't, but you mm -hmm. should because you should at least learn what's happening because you have lower opportunity cost. You know what I mean? Yeah. But think about me, I rather work that extra hour in a consulting project and make more money. You know what I mean? For so, sure. And it makes no sense for me to do an active investment because some of my friends do active investment, which is like trading. You have to wake up early in the morning and then look at the market. You are going to get anxiety or whatever, <laughs> what's happening to the market. I don't want to do that. I rather hire a very professional portfolio manager. And by the way, every big bank, their portfolio managers are most likely to be a full CFA. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So they know what they're doing, right? So yeah. at I, I'm okay to pay the fee, but at least my, and it's very diversified too. So I'm telling you that my suggestion is not for everyone, right? So yeah. it depends on at which stage of your life you are. If you are a student and very early in your career, like you, Miguel, you're very, very early in your career now, you should definitely do trading by yourself, you yeah. know? Otherwise, how would you learn? Because I always believe if you do not invest your money on something, you're not going to learn that. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, like I, I learned a lot, especially I think the, the, the most difficult thing that I had to learn by investing on my own is yeah. patience. Because yeah. uh, I, in 2018, I bought 
Apple stock at two, $220, $220. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, that seems to be a good price. It probably will go up. You know, the rate, it was going up by a, by a very good rate uh, yeah. for the past two years. So I was yeah. just expecting the same. And then like two weeks later, it went, it, it dropped like 20 or 30%. I was like, what? <laughs> and then it just kept going down. And all of my friends were telling me, you know, sell it, sell it, sell it. Apple's yeah. going to go bankrupt. And, and nobody, yeah. and everybody wants Apple to go bankrupt for some reason. Yeah. I think, and, and I, I, I always remember, look, it is not lost money until you sell it, until you yeah. realize the, the loss. So yeah. just keep it there. And eventually I made like 50 per, 50% on that investment, right? Yeah. So this is exactly what I was trying to say, Miguel, right? So because yeah. you will be uh, anxious, people will tell you shit. And you'll be yeah. always anxious about your portfolio because yeah. it's run by only you, yeah. right? So it happened to me too in 2016, 17, but it's a long story, right? <laughs> when I used to trade, I stopped trading since 2018. But just to give you an idea, mm -hmm. during that time when the tech boom happened, I invested in one of the mutual fund. I'm not going to mention which one. It gave me about 40% in two years because the okay. tech industry was booming, mm -hmm. right? So it's probably less than what... Uh, active trader will make but at the same time i will spend no time on it you know what i mean yeah yeah zero time just invested on the fund and just let it let the portfolio manager to run this yeah and that, and, and that makes sense and 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 so like this this was basically one of my first questions uh yeah. or one of the most interesting questions i had for today which yeah. is how do how do we like you know students or maybe not even like students people who did not even go to university right mm. yeah. um how do they start to plan for their future? Because I see a lot of people, uh, instead of accruing um, interest on their savings, they're accruing interest on their debt. Hmm. And and it, it is, I mean, there is an, a debt epidemic in America. And I think oh, it is. In, in Canada has probably also a debt epidemic, just a, yeah. less less significant than in, in the US. So how do we start to, to manage our money and, and what resources would you give us for, or would you suggest, you know, referencing, referring to? Yeah. Let me give you statistics on this. You will might, you will probably get surprised. All of you probably already know this. In average Canadians are only 200 to $300 away from bankruptcy. That means if they spend on average $300 more a year, they have to declare bankruptcy. Wow. You know, this is how much debt or personal debt we have accumulated uh, over the years. And COVID-19 not helped, right? It's going to increase even further. Yeah. So my answer, and I actually did another um, interview uh, with UBC um, okay. a month ago about this. And I, I took an old school approach here, mm -hmm. right? I'm going to suggest an old school approach, how to take control of your own money. So my number one suggestion is, try to delay instant gratification. Yeah. You know, number one, I mean, this is so important. For example, let's say you are in a third year or fourth year, a student, you know that your parents or you can buy the car, but you have to think, do I really need this expensive car or I can just buy something cheaper with cash? You know what I mean? Yeah. I'd rather save the money so that I can pay some sort of a down payment when I, get my job and a couple of years because bank will look at your last two years income, right? When they approve a loan mm -hmm. and things are, look, 
uh, after COVID-19, a lot of people are going to work from home. So even if you, uh, and industry have changed, a lot of, lot of jobs are going to be only from home. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. you can go, you don't have to buy a house in Surrey or Vancouver. You can go to Abbotsford. One of my friends just bought a house there. Believe me or not, two bedroom, $230,000 only. Right? Yeah. So you could still do this with only two, three years of work. The only thing needed is the down payment and yeah. you could easily save this over the year. So you have to ask yourself those questions. Like nowadays is so easy. And I'm also a culprit of this. I go to Amazon, I have a Prime account. I click, it comes the next day. You know what yeah. I mean? So we have to somehow delay those instant gratification as much as we can. Number one. Mm -hmm. Second suggestion that I have is self-control, which is connected to number one, of course, right? Mm -hmm. uh, don't let other people control your uh, finance or other people to control your emotions or anything. You take your own decision, yeah, right? And you take control of your own money by learning things by yourself. There are so many online financial literacy courses, numerous. Uh, some of them are paid, a fee is so low. Some of them for very reputed universities, you know, mm. you can learn so many things about personal finance that a lot of people don't even have to go to school and do actually a finance major anymore. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're dedicated and, and disciplined, you'll probably be able to, to learn a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's my suggestion. It's very old school suggestion, but that's exactly what's going to work going. That's exactly what's uh, how we can take our kids and other people away from this high load of debt yeah um i know yeah i know a lot of a lot of students who have a lot of um student debt right and yeah. that seems and that seems to to really stagnate the, the careers of a lot of people because they just take uh whatever whatever shitty job comes their way the you know at first and and really just you know makes their careers uh, driven more mostly by the by the need of paying this this debt that was accrued before they even were able to work and and, and a lot of people justify this debt as a good thing because they say well yeah. you're getting a degree from here yeah, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle right because you yeah. see everyone else is doing it think about this let's say i had this problem too believe me or not i'm not sure if i should tell you this but it's fine i guess because i'm on the floor now <laughs> okay <laughs> so uh, when I first came to BC, let's say, I did have other friends. I'm not going to mention the name or anything. Mm -hmm. They are always buying expensive stuff. You know what I mean? So I was socially pressured too to buy things and to match up with them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then I realized they're buying all of this with credit card. They have six, seven credit card. They pay with one of them and then they repay that credit card with another one. You know, this is called... Mm -hmm. uh, I forgot the word, but anyway, uh, that by paying, revolving, like paying from one credit card with another one and keep adding up interest 30, 40%, right? Yeah. At least one of them, again, not going to mention the name, actually just filed bankruptcy and left the country, you know, left Canada because they don't have to pay this money anymore. You know what I mean? Wow. So at the same time, look at me after these four or five years, I'm in a, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Like by the grace of God, I'm doing very, very good. Uh, because I have, I will, I've managed to do those delaying of instant gratification, right? Yeah. I felt bad. This is the problem, right? When you're third year or fourth year students, you kind of have to maintain your social life with other kids or other students when they are spending a lot of money using credit card, 
mm-hmm. or their parents, you kind of have to start also spending your own money. But we just, I'm just recommending people not to do this. Yeah, I, I, I had that same uh, situation where you know sometimes you're like, okay, well these people are buying you know expensive clothes yeah. or expensive yeah. phones and computers yeah. or whatever. But I, I had a really, I think I had a smart strategy for this yeah. because I, I was working uh, during my degree. And yeah. I, I said, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna use 10% of this money, what yeah. I what I work, and then just basically use it for uh, indulge a little bit, and yeah. and then I I realized, look, you don't really need expensive clothes to look like you're dressing expensive, no, no, and and basically just design um, design a wardrobe that will work in many different ways, and and it will look it will look really cool at all exactly. times. But this, exactly. it wasn't expensive, right? And it wasn't yeah. a lot of clothes. It was basically, um, I mean, I had maybe five t-shirts yeah. or five shirts and yeah. then three pants. Yeah, I think we had them many different ways. If you look at the yeah. permutation combination, yeah, can, if, if, look, if, Miguel, this is exactly where math can also help you. You know, yeah. you can find out how many ways you can match up these two things. You know what I mean? And then in Vancouver, if you dress black, I mean, black yeah. is the thing that, that works with everything, right? Oh my and, goodness, yeah. So you like, just uh, you just took the word away from my mouth pretty much. So <laughs> so look, Warren Buffett said something like he buys luxury too. I buy luxury too, but only when they're cheaper. Yeah. You know what I mean? So all of my, this is kind of, I know it's going to sound weird too. I have six piece of uh, trousers mm-hmm. and they're very specialized. Trousers is very difficult to find in the shop. Okay. I think the uh, the company I'm not gonna mention. Uh, the company stopped producing those. I have to really hard time to find those. Okay. You can wear them when you're playing cricket, soccer, or while I'm wearing this right now, teaching, uh-huh. or interviewing, or even in a big party with suit, or let's say in a conference or seminar. Mm-hmm. So comfy, but I'm only gonna go with that. I have six of those, and I do you know what I buy my t-shirts from? Walmart. Don't you think I can afford like? uh whatever other companies i can but i was what's the point you know yeah like unless you really i mean i think once you 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 taste for example or not taste but i think once you feel the texture of you sh- of like a shirt yeah. from i don't know um whatever company yeah. whatever whatever yeah. company yeah. um you kind of feel like oh yeah i can see the quality and obviously yeah. the quality is much better but yeah. um i always try to go for the sweet the sweet spot you know not too low not too high exactly and, exactly and, and be like okay this is what will last the longest and yeah. will still provide the, the, the value that i'm looking and look for. wait for the discount what i'm doing i have a list that i gotta buy i actually okay. i write them down at the things i need to buy and i wait for boxing day <laughs> okay yeah well that's perfect i mean that's what you what everybody yeah. will do look, you can buy a rework trouser that is normally 60 dollar uh-huh. for 30 dollar on a boxing day this is called self-control and delaying instant gratification you know what yeah, I mean? because you're still indulging on on what you want but you're but you're doing it in in the smartest yeah. way possible i never said don't live your life i said delaying instant gratification <laughs> you should still get the gratification but delay it a little bit so you can yeah. get that thing cheaper for sure and also i mean if you have debt you know uh yeah. that, that that should be the first thing that you that you're trying to pay it right exactly exactly um, now we have demonized debt a lot, but one of the things that I learned in finance is that if you use debt in smart way, then you can take you can use it to your advantage and and you know like create even more wealth. And, yeah. I, and it seems like 
this is the case for a lot of people. I mean, even Donald Trump has said that the, he had a lot of debt at some point. Uh, <laughs> and he, he says he's a billionaire, right? So yeah. now, how do, you, how do we take advantage of debt uh, especially if we're just students, like, is there a possibility yeah. for us to yeah. to hedge our, our debt? First of all, as a student, uh, it's all about high interest versus low interest debt, okay. right? What students are exposed to is high interest debt, which is credit card, like 21% or 20% interest, mm -hmm. right? I can give you a very straightforward, again, finance answer. The only way you should use debt to enhance your return if your return of the investment is greater than the cost of debt. You know what I mean? Okay. So let's say if your debt is 21%, yeah. the 21% money, uh, whatever debt you're using for investment, that investment should give you a return of more than 21%. You know what I mean? Only yeah. then you can get richer or you can get a good sense out of or good value out of that debt by investing it. But tell me how many investment you know in Canada or in US that provides you more than 21% return? Very few. <laughs> none. Yeah, almost, none. Almost non-existent, right? Yeah. So that's why the students should never use debt. Because look, if students don't have enough credit history to get cheap debt. For example, mm -hmm. right now, I have enough credit history. Like if I can get a home equity loan against my house, I can get the loan for 2%. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it's a, it's a covered loan. And then I can use that 2% to invest in some business that is going to give me 8 to 10% return, maybe a restaurant or something. Then it's okay. Then your debt can keep making you money. You know yeah, what I mean? That makes sense. So like, yeah. you know, but yeah, so like you, you buy assets that eventually will give you more than... Exactly. It also yeah. gives you the tax shield. So finance theory is not wrong over there. The problem is how much debt you should have in the investment. Yeah. Right. So after a certain level, you'll get to the, then the cost of debt will be a burden for you. So what I would say, some debt, again, for investment purposes, I'm not talking about personal life anymore. That's done. For investment purposes, let's say you want to become an entrepreneur. At the beginning, you should try to get some debt at least. You know, yeah. so some debt is better than no debt. It's true in real life and also in finance mm -hmm. theory. But you sh at the same time, you should not overburden yourself with too much debt. Then you're going to be very close to bankruptcy. For sure. And um, one of the things that I wanted to, uh, to kind of ask you regarding um, debt and like, yeah. so like, just how, how long does it take, for example, to get, uh, I don't know, let's say that you're a student and then you have a very bad credit, right? Hmm. How, yes. how, how long does it take to get a, or to fix your credit? Yeah, that's another good point, man. I did not talk about this. What the students should do, the reason they should not use a lot of credit card, because you'll screw up your debt, uh, credit rating. You know, mm -hmm. Credit rating is the first thing that banks look at before they want to give you the loan. And yeah. then they look at other things. Do you have a stable income or a stuff? But as a student, it's almost impossible to have a good credit rating, even if you do not screw up your finances. Right? Mm -hmm. Because you don't have enough history. You don't have enough background of using a card or maybe using any other financial account. You know, yeah. so it's extremely, extremely difficult. What I would say, if a third or fourth year students wants to really open a business with friends or whatever, they can always look for some government funding or maybe some private funding uh, or some nonprofit organization funding. They fund good business project by young students. 
Yeah. Right? Uh, Nowadays, uh, SFU and UBC have their own entrepreneur um, yeah. sections too, right? Yeah, venture connection, I think, is for yeah. SFU. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds really interesting. But again, I wanna I wanna visit the point. Is is it easy to fix your your credit score once you once you, for example, screw it up, or or does it take like years? Like it takes years. It takes, it takes years? years, but it's fixable. I've seen people fixing it. Perfect. So, and do you, pro- for example, when you're uh, doing your CFA training, do you yeah. train people in how to do that kind of stuff, or do you train them in the more general scope of finance? No, we don't. Uh, so when I teach CFA, so of course we prepare the student for the CFA exam. Yeah. Right. Uh, none of that talks about credit rating, to be honest, because one thing I think where CFA is a bit lacking, I, I won't say lacking. The reason is CFA is more focused in portfolio management for okay. uh, other people, not mm-hmm. mostly for your own personal finance. You know what I mean? But okay. if you take an online course on personal finance and which I'm gonna, I'm planning to develop one, to be honest, very soon, I'm, I'm thinking of developing one where it would teach you what things you can do to improve your credit rating. The first thing I would tell everyone to Google this, what goes into calculating your credit rating, mm-hmm. right? And then it will give you some suggestions how to improve it, such as should not have a lot of credit card. And even if you have, uh, try to use only one credit card for every transaction and do not cancel it because that credit card is building your credit history, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. for example, I had one credit card since 2010, same card, I just keep changing it, you know what I mean? But yeah. I have only one card, one company, and then I have other cards too, but that card I never canceled because it is building my history. Mm-hmm. And then uh, never always put a calendar on to make sure you pay your bills on time so that it doesn't trigger a credit limit or whatever, yeah. credit event. So I'm just giving you two suggestions, but there are many other ways you can improve those. And a lot of financial, uh, personal finance, that's the word, personal finance course that people can take online to learn about this. There is a course in SFU for personal finance, right? Yeah, I think what, so. What? I, I've, I haven't seen that because when I was teaching there full-time, I did not see that course, but I okay. heard they had opened a new one. Okay, so yeah. there is another question I wanted to 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 ask you, and I, I know you probably, uh, I mean, you're well-versed in this world of finance, but I see a lot of people um, oftentimes bring in really like hate on capitalism. Are, yeah. Do you share that feeling too? I am, this is difficult to answer because I was, I'm right in the middle <laughs> you know, okay. uh, of socialism versus capitalism. What I do, Mikkel, you probably know me for several years now, right? One thing yeah. I always recommend everyone, and I keep doing this to help others, you know what I mean? Always help others and make sure people who are not doing well like you, you try to pull them up, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. By giving them more and more and more. But if the question is that, do I think that everyone should be provided same kind of benefit versus everyone should be provided with same kind of taxes and stuff? Right, I have no answer to this, to be honest, because I'm not a huge fan of this progressive tax system in Canada anyway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it kind of hurts your productivity. Right? Yeah. So because it's, look, not everyone is coming from very, very wealthy background. Of course, wealth, wealth makes more wealth, no doubt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. As long as you're smart, you can mm-hmm. use that money that your parent gave you to build more wealth. I came 
from a lower middle class family in Bangladesh. You know what I mean? When I first came to Canada, I came with only $2,000, I believe. That's all my dad could give me. You know what I mean? Then I told him that when I finish my undergrad, uh, sorry, master's, I'll give you the money back. I did. <laughs> you know? yeah, for right sure. after, I came, look, I finished my master's. I still had 2000 left. You know what I mean? Yeah. Somehow from here and there. But since then, I've worked super duper hard to come to this position to pay a 45% taxes right now. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. okay to pay this because as long as I know the money is going to help poor people, not going back to the wealthy people again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So no matter how I want to word this, if you are a finance or econ prof, you're most likely to be a capitalist anyway, right? Yeah. But I'm kind of in the middle. Capitalism is not always bad. Socialism, I mean, pure 100% socialism is a beautiful idea. I really appreciate this. I even force this, right? I even force this to a lot, lot of my comments and here and there in Facebook and other places. But it's a very beautiful idea, but very difficult to implement in a world you want to enhance people's productivity and other things. Why, I mean? why, is, why is it difficult to implement? Is it for the, for the human drivers? To... It is a human drivers for uh, selfishness, to be honest. Right? Yeah, so like capitalism takes, uh, takes uh, as the main assumption that humans are selfish. Isn't, it, isn't that Exactly, correct? exactly. I'm, and I completely agree, right? And people are, this is the number one theory of economics anyway, that we are all selfish. You know yeah, what I mean? and like, look, I, I said that once to someone and, and, and they are yeah. like, well, don't think that everybody, everybody is like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So look, this is what I do then. So for example, I'm okay to pay 45% of my income as taxes, right? Yeah. But I just want to make sure that money is going to the people who need the most. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's a beautiful idea and concept and it's doable, but I don't think... Uh, different governments in the whole around the world are, are, are able to do this. A lot of our money actually goes towards very expensive administrative expenses. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, well, it, yeah. yeah, there is a lot of like, you know, like there are a lot of government officials that earn a lot of money, right? Like $300,000 yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And, that, and that, that's really expensive, right? But at yeah. the same time, we need to wonder whether their, their yeah. uh, education is, is merit. Yeah. Yeah, provides that. These are the two things I'm really passionate about and I really push. Number one thing that I'm very, very passionate about. And I'm, I also think I'm a little bit of, not a little bit, I'm almost 90% a feminist, you know? Yeah, well, so, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm a feminist. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a full feminist. This is number one thing I always uh, push, uh, woman empowerment and female empowerment and all this. So, yeah. and the second thing I try to push is to do that, not exactly socialism, because I know that in reality, it's going to be difficult because most people are selfish, right? Yeah. It's a theory. In theory, it's beautiful. But I try to push as much as I can, like by donating uh, here and there. And what I try to do, I try to apply, again, economics concept there. I think you have learned this in economics too, okay. Miguel, that where do you think that capital will have the highest return where you have less capital? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Let's say if you have $100,000, should you give the $100,000 donation to a country like in Africa versus Canada? You know what I mean? Yeah. So the, people I mean, who, the, hundred, the $100 will have more impact in Africa, wouldn't it? Exactly. So that's called when the capital is less, the return of the capital is higher over there. So this is what I try to implement. So I, I, I donate a lot of money back home in Bangladesh. I do donate here too, here and there. 
the causes and things that I think are very, very important, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, what we'd rather do, we should try to push more and more people, let's say uh, people who have billions and millions of dollars, Yeah. right? They earn millions and billions to push them, to give them incentive to do more for the society. Yeah. Yeah. And so like what, what incentives, incentives will that be? For, uh, there are many incentives that I've, I'm really huge fan of. For example, uh, a donations, a lot of the donations are tax deductible. Yeah. Okay. You know? I'm not asking people to tax them high <laughs> and take the money, but I, I also don't mind to tax the richest 1% or 2% maybe because that's too much money you can handle. <laughs> yeah. Like right? in, this money will serve you for generations, right? Exactly, exactly. Let's say if I'm talking about the richest one person, I'm talking about super billionaires. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even if you take like 2% extra tax from them, I don't think they, it's going to scratch them even a little bit. You know what I mean? That yeah. I'm not a, not a, not a, I'm just, just not a huge fan of progressive taxing where people who are making 100,000 or 150,000 maybe, especially in cities in Vancouver, what is very, very difficult to leave even with $100,000 income in the family. Okay. So, that, yeah, and I, and I agree with you with that part. Yeah. So one, one question I had, and this, this goes back to your comment that you're uh, a feminist, right? Yeah. Um, so there is, in, in, the, in the business world and also in the financial world, we see that the women are paid less than, than men. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and there, I have always... I mean, I heard some people say it is a myth. I heard some people it is 100% reality. So I honestly, for me, I'm, I'm kind of data-driven and I, I haven't really done my research. I did some research actually for, for a yeah. business class, but I, I haven't really seen proof that, that says it is a lie and I haven't seen proof that it is true. And honestly, I'm just going to, uh, in these arguments, I, I tend to not yeah. engage just because I don't know. So do you, do you have any any insight as to whether... Yes, yes, a lot of them. And look, you know what, Miguel, you don't even have to do a research on this. And I haven't, too. The, no reason. The reason is I can see with my clear eyes that women are seriously disadvantaged in most professions they're working on, right? Mm-hmm. If I can see that, I feel that I came from a country is a very, very unequal country, mm-hmm. right? Even in Canada... There is no way that women aren't same as men in the same profession, right? Mm-hmm. And there are so many papers I can also share with you where it proves that women, there is a salary discrimination, but not even in salary, in terms of other things in life, they are discriminated heavily, like respect in the society and so many other things, right? Yeah. Um, strength, respect, so many other things. And look, at the same time, I believe that women and men have different set of skill set different kinds of skill set, right? Uh, the stuff that women are good at, men are probably not. The stuff that some men are good at in those positions, women would, would not be good because they have a lot of limitations that how yeah. God built them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. So this is why, I mean, when people say, hey, uh, how many, this is kind of completely bullshit when one guy was trying to kill feminism. You know yeah. what I mean? It was about five, six years ago, I saw, and at that moment, I wasn't a feminist. I was, uh, I'm a recent feminist for the last three, four years. So okay. that guy was trying to kill feminism by saying, oh, how many men dies in war and versus how many women dies in war? By the way, women don't even go to war. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. So that's not even a comparison that we should look at because that's not any skill set that women have. Because women have empathy that men don't. 
You know what I mean? Mm. Women have other skills there. For example, I think every single company in the world should have a woman leader. Every single country in this world should have a woman leader. Then the world will change. If you can, if you can do that, that beautiful dream about socialism is completely possible. So, like, you think socialism is driven is driven by the macro and not by the micro? Because it, it's if, micro too. It's micro too, right? I just try to connect both of them because you've got to understand this: who are on average less selfish versus men and women? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, like yeah. clearly, females are more yeah. are more Empath able to yeah. to you know they're more they're more empathetic and they try yeah. to. I mean, they they are they have this instinct instinct to take care yeah. of of what they are in charge of, right? And exactly. clearly. You can see a home that has uh, two guys is yeah. tends to be a lot messier than a home that has two girls. Right? Exactly, exactly. So, uh, so other, unless one of the guys is also a, a little bit feminist too, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you never know. But you're hundred percent right. We both agree on that, and uh, I can see that women are seriously disadvantaged all over the world, and we need to do more. Uh, this is I'm very proud to also announce that what CFE Institute recently did, they have uh, acquired a parity into their board uh, of directors, mm -hmm. right? It's 50% women, 50% male. But unfortunately, only 37% of the candidate who writes CFA exam are women, right? Yeah. We, we have to up this. In investment world, we hardly see women nowadays, right? The okay. numbers are increasing, numbers are increasing, but it's not a parity yet. It's not 50-50 yet. So, I mean, there are countries that have had uh, female leaders for a while. And oh, there, yeah. And there are countries that haven't had female leaders for, yeah. for a long time. And we yeah. haven't, for example, we have seen England who, who had, um, you know, Margaret Thatcher, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you have, and then they had recently another one. What was her name? Um, they, they had another another yeah. prime minister that was yeah. a female and and then brazil also had a female uh, leader and yeah. i there are, there are countries that have female leaders and well i came from a country we have female leader in bangladesh our prime minister even the opposition leader is also female you know what I mean? oh, really and so yeah. so you said that there is a, a lot of inequality in bangladesh towards uh, you know gender inequality so yeah. how come there's uh, two very strong female leaders like what 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 that's, is that, happening? That, that's a challenge, right? Because it's very difficult to, not necessarily if you have a female leader, you're gonna bring in inequality because you have to still change the men, <laughs> you know, the mentality yeah. of the men in the country. The country is improving. Bangladesh is improving significantly in terms of giving respect. The new generation that we have, we are teaching the kids how to respect women. You know what I mean? Okay, well, yesterday, yesterday I had a podcast in which we talk leadership. We talk about leadership. Yeah. And and, and this guy is an expert. Yeah. And basically, one of the things he said, and he tried to make it really clear, is that leaders are are put in there by the people, right? And exactly. He also said that politi no politician is a leader because you know politicians no. are running for office. But uh, let's assume that these politicians that we're talking about in Bangladesh are are yeah. actually true leaders. So. Yeah. They, there's a lot of men in Bangladesh. How come yes. they're getting all these votes then? If they're if they're not respecting women? No, it's uh, there is respect for women, but the numbers are very very less. You know what I mean? Okay. Of people who are are like it's not even closer to parity over there. 
So, and but the, things are improving. What I'm trying to say that maybe, the, maybe they did not have any choice. Look at the US, people had a choice to choose between President Trump and Hillary Clinton. You know what I mean? Okay. And so people then went for Trump, yeah. <laughs> right? So I'm not going to say anything because it's a podcast and whether I like it or not anyway. But if you go, <laughs> if you go to Bangladesh, yeah. we had, I just told you that our leader is country, uh, prime minister is Sheikh Hasina from the leading party of Aumi League. And the opposition also have the leader who is woman. So people did not have to choose between male and female. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I can guarantee this to you. If the opposition was a male, they probably would have gone for that. So you think the parties are both trying to push for women uh, in leaders in leadership? Yes, in and I'm very worried that these two ladies that um, are, are really old right now. You know what I mean? Okay. So what's gonna happen if they leave? Yeah, yeah. I'm so very, very worried. Yeah, for sure. The best example of uh, woman leadership and how things can change is and how tough they can be if they need to be. They have high empathy, but they can be tough when needed. Look at our moms too, right? They have yeah. high level of empathy, but they know what to do when we uh, we screw up things. Yeah, yeah. well, and, and if, if there's a threat to you as a kid, right? Yeah. They'll fight yeah. for you. They'll, no, they'll and uh, you. maybe that before even dad, right? I have a kid too, but I, I can say this, before dad, the mom will run to save you. You know what I mean? So look the at New Zealand. The mom will run to safety? No, no, mom will run to save you. Uh, yeah, for sure. They will that, save you, for sure. They will run to that, save you. Yeah. Before that. There is absolutely no doubt. Look at New Zealand. New Zealand is the best example of how a female leader can change things significantly. Yeah, because they, they, they did really well with coronavirus. And, and everything. Even I'm following her for over the last, uh, since the first time she was elected. Okay. Right. Yeah. And she, and yeah, she, she's, she's, done, she's done great. And I, I, I mean, I have huge respect, but I, I honestly don't understand gender theory very well. And I also I, don't. I just know that with observations. With observations. Yeah. With observations. And oh, look, I read papers, economic papers too, right? Mm -hmm. oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, I don't read books, but I read a lot of papers <laughs> <laughs> because they're using objective data, right? For sure. So, um, yeah. So even if people, there's serious level of discrimination all around the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I I think I think so. Like I'm, I mean, I'm from a country. I'm, I'm from Mexico, so yeah. I'm from a country where there are a lot of a lot of women that that have died. And in yeah. one of the other podcasts, uh, episode three, I think we yeah. had a feminist that was actually living in Canada, and then her passion is in human rights. So she went back to Mexico to fight for women. It's yeah. it's really impressive what she did. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And one last uh, one last uh, question that's a bit technical is yeah. what would you, and I want to bring this back to, to finance. Um, yeah. Let's say that we are young entrepreneurs and yeah. we want to start a business. What are the key points financially a person must consider before investing a single penny in, their, in, in, a, in a business? Let me take a personal approach on this, right? What I look at when I when someone bringing a business pitch to me and, I, and asking me to invest. Yeah. You know? Number one, I look at, does the business have very high fixed expense? Okay. If the business have high fixed expense, such as inventory, rent, lease, I'm most likely to say no. Mm -hmm. So business with, ver with, with variable expenses versus uh, is, is better. Better to me. This is what I look at. 
The mm-hmm. second thing I look at, who are my partners? How passionate they are? Do I need to guide them or they can dive, guide themselves? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, partners are very, very important unless you are a uh, sole proprietor. Yeah. And then third is, they're not chronologically, I'm just saying. It's yeah. not third means it's a third step. Uh, it's to see what's your market, how big the market is and try to quantify it and who is going to, to whom you're going to sell the product, mm-hmm. right? And what value you're adding to the market and what should be your potential market in terms of numbers, Okay. right? I put everything in Excel, believe me or not. People came to me to invest in pizza shop. People came to me to invest in restaurant. Actually, we are going to open one. It's just for COVID-19, we got a little bit behind, even though it kind of contradicted with my first suggestion. Yeah. Because restaurants have high lease expense, yep. right? But this is, this is why I'm a bit hesitant, but at least I know the market and everything is going to pay off, right? So anyway. You, you may, I mean, give us a little bit of the name of the pizza shop so that people can go and visit. <laughs> no, no, it's not my People <laughs> came to me. I never invested. <laughs> oh, you, you didn't invest on this one? No, no. It, it's just someone came to me whether they should invest or not. You know? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I think it's called Four Brothers or something in downtown. Okay, okay cool. Right? And uh, they're thinking like whether they should pay the money to acquire it. You know, so I put uh-huh. everything in terms of numbers to see how was the people around. Do you have any other pizza shops around and everything? That's my point number four. Know your competition very, very well. See what they are doing mm-hmm. and see how you can do better. Learn from them. Take your time. Don't just hastily invest right away. Yeah. Okay, and and that I think that's probably the hardest part, right? To to properly yeah. plan on some uh, how to exactly. So these four, as long as you can do these four, uh, these should be the steps and the things you should look at. That's great. Yeah, I I have I have had my first share of experience with startups, and I think yeah. I, I agree with you. Uh, this this these four oh. points are very. Oh, Miguel, important. I forgot to tell uh, another one. Number five: Don't oh, be afraid five. to fail. <laughs> Don't be okay. afraid of what? Don't be afraid of failing. Ah, that's important. Yeah. Very, very important because look, I have, I was involved in at least, and I used to invest in companies or as an entrepreneur since undergrad. Okay. Right? I used to tutor a lot when I was in undergrad and I used to lose them in businesses, <laughs> you know? lose the money that I used to earn from tutoring in different businesses. And did you ever make uh, like a good hit with those businesses that you invested Recently in? I did, right. When I be- learned more, but do you know, this is kind of funny. The yeah. businesses that failed, where I failed, mm-hmm. I've learned significantly more from those businesses versus the one that have done well. Because if For something sure. goes very, very well, you don't really ask a question why it's going well. But if something mm-hmm. goes wrong, you ask a question why it went wrong. Yeah. I actually call, I never call them failure. I never call them losses. I call them tuition fee. Yeah, learning experiences. Exactly. So instead of doing an MBA and paying $100,000, how about you invest in 50, 50 in two different business? Yeah. Right. And learn from that. You learn significantly more than what you'd learn in an MBA. Yeah, I agree. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, we're in this, we're in a world where machine learning and artificial intelligence are 
one of the things that are really yeah. um, driving the world right now and people should learn yeah. more about them. Yeah. So I think that's, uh, I think if we make an analogy. I mean, machine learning is all about a machine that's stupid that, and then makes a hundred mix, hundred mistakes per, per second or, or even more. Yeah. And, and then you, and then they learn and then they become better than you. <laughs> exactly. That's something, how you right? should do this. They fail first, right? Yeah. You, because I, I was telling this yesterday uh, to one of, uh, to this other podcast, uh, to this other uh, guest um, that people are afraid of making mistakes. And, and I think this comes from Hollywood. I mean, we're, yeah. we're very used to seeing the chosen one, this yeah. person that, is perfect and doesn't make mistakes and for example uh, as an example i'll give you ray from the star wars the yeah. last the last tri trilogy yeah. the, this this girl never made a mistake <laughs> yeah yeah right? so that comes from hollywood and if you're putting too much weight on those things because i watch netflix like crazy believe me or not yeah right so but i watch them for entertainment purposes this is the same reason i do not read books of personal life of other people you know what I mean? I mean there yeah. is, look, this guy is successful, I understand, but I don't live the same life that he lives. So how the hell I can apply his theory into mine? Yeah. And, right? and that person is an outlier, right? Exactly. Not, yeah, exactly. But I do read, I've read some stuff here and there, but mostly excerpts like, okay, like it's a hundred page book. I'm not going to read this. Tell me this in two page. <laughs> you know I mean? mm, for sure. Then I read that. Uh, I yeah. use this app club, Kali. You can probably also try and tell your um, uh, people to uh, who are who are listening to this podcast. It's called, I think, it's called Blinkist. Yeah, yeah, Blinkist. Yeah, yeah. You and can they, just they summarize the books, right? They summarize the book is very condensed form. But why the hell I will spend a lot of time on these books? For sure, I I, I agree with you. Um, I wanted to to ask you about a company called Mocha. Um, are you familiar with it? No, let me see. What do they do? Uh, they do. They help millennials manage their finances better. So I let me tell you the spelling. Um, it's, a, it's a bit funny. It, it is Mocha, M, M A K A, I think. Um, or yeah, yeah, Mocha is M O K A. Sorry, M O K A. Okay. I've never heard of this, but yeah, it looks like an app helps people yeah. to achieve their financial goal. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then basically they, they, they take, they round up every, every investment or not, sorry, not every investment, every purchase on your credit card or yeah. even every purchase on your debit card. And then yeah. they put the remaining on, on, yeah. a, on a mutual fund. I've, I've seen this company uh, presenting their pitch in Shark Tank. Yeah, in Dragon's Den, right? In Dragon's think. Den or Shark Tank. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember. I've watched almost all episodes of Dragon's Den of yeah. Shark Tank. It is really interesting. And oh, it is. They had, they had another name. I think they rebranded recently. And basically, I, I was, I, I'm, I'm very into fintech, uh, you know, the financial technologies. And I think it comes a lot from this theory of democratization of finances. Because before we, we only saw a big bank, a big institution that, that manages your money, right? But right now you can see these people. I mean, they, they are millennials and they, are, they're, they, find, they found a product that solves a problem for them. And they just made it available to everybody who, who is in the same boat as them. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something I re I'm really interested in. And I'm really excited to see more of the development of fintech. 
And yeah. I'm really hoping that it really helps not only millennials, but also elders and other people, right? To, to be able to live a better financial life. And, yeah. and, and one last personal, life, uh, personal question. Um, what, are the, what are the five piece of, pieces of advice that you will give yourself when you were 18 years old? Yeah, I was, uh, I was really thinking about those things. What advices should I give myself? Because I, to, one thing I'm really worried in, in my life, about my life, Miguel, is that I did not fail too much in my life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think I should have failed more. I failed in businesses, some businesses where I learned, like I gave you an example. But mm -hmm. I think I should have failed more because when I lost my dad in 2017, It gave me a lot of anxiety. You know what I mean? Yeah. I could not cope up with this. I still see him around me. Right. Mm -hmm. So because I've never experienced too much of trauma in my life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right. So that's why I had to really think what advice I should give my, uh, uh, tell myself when I was 18 is that first one is expect anything can happen. Right. Your life is not a bed of roses. Mm -hmm. right? Anything can happen to you at any moment. You can leave, lose anyone in your family at any point in time, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we need to do more. Number one suggestion, give away more, help others, and spend more time with your family. That's my number one suggestion. I, I, this is what I would tell when I was, if I were 18 years old. Yeah. Right. And uh, Of course, the other one would be the thing that I said at the beginning of today's podcast is delay the instant gratification as much as you can and save more. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've done this quite a bit, but at the same time, I've spent money on things I shouldn't have, you know? Yep. So, and then uh, another thing which is going to be very, very useful, Miguel, you'll also like it. One suggestion I would tell if I were an 18 year old to myself is that your first job doesn't have to be in a big farm, okay? Mm -hmm. You learn more in smaller farms because they will make you work and you learn from that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And big farm will, I will I'm not going to mention any farm's name, and in a big farm, you'll in the first six, seven months, you'll probably just be doing photocopying, printing, etc. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, making PowerPoint presentation and stuff. But if you had a small boutique farm, they will make you work hard because they don't have a, a manpower. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then I would say, uh, let's think about it. Oh, I think I mentioned that before already. Practice self-control. Do not wait for others to tell you what's important and what's not. Mm -hmm. Right? I've done this when I was younger. I wish I didn't do this. Right? I, I took suggestions from people who are significantly smarter than me. Right. But I've also tried to take suggestions from people who are not smarter than me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, people try to poach my money too in so many ways. There are people mm -hmm. who have been, who called me, messaged me several times to invest yeah. with them, to buy product from them. And I knew that not necessarily all of them had good intention. So practice self control. Mm -hmm. Okay. And finally, which I've recently learned, I wish I've learned this when I was 18 years old. You need to live a healthy life. Right. Yeah. One way you can do this, uh, which is which is the way I'm managing it, is invest time in a physical sports that you love and play at least once a week to keep yourself going. Like cricket, for example. Like cricket, for example. Right. And you will automatically focus on your health because what happens if you're not very athletic, 
Yeah. You will see people we are let's say you're playing soccer. I also play soccer. That's my second one, right? But I'm not nearly good at it. I'm re- I'm terrible. The 22 player, I'm the 22nd one over there. <laughs> I'm terrible. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I saw that my team are losing and people are because I'm a teacher, they don't really give me too much push around. You know what yeah. I mean? But I understand, I can see their face. They're like, oh, I wish this guy was not in my team. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, but, but don't, don't, I mean, what that made me do, it made me improve my health. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. I, for the last uh, nine to any uh, year, I've lost about 30 pounds. I'm mostly fat, maybe. Oh, really? Wow. Mostly fat. And I I've haven't seen you in a while. I would like yeah, to see how you look. I've gained strength significantly. You probably won't even recognize me now. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. Right. I've do, I've, I've, I have a personal trainer now. He's amazing. I've changed my life significantly. Yeah. Nice. Um, so look, personal trainers are expensive. You know that, but it's an investment I'm making on my health instead of yeah. putting the money in another company. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. So I, this is what I would recommend to every single individual live a healthy life. Right now, I feel so much better because when I lost my father, I got into anxiety and that was ruining everything, relationships and stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But then now I'm because when you have energy, when you live a healthy life, mm-hmm. right, then you can handle anything in your life. For sure. And and well, I thank you so much for these five pieces of advice. And I mean, I'm pretty sure it will help everybody to, you know, do a, yeah. do a great in their lives. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I know that you have a lot of uh, appointments and you have a lot of meetings today. And no I really problem. appreciate that. I hope um, I hope we can keep in touch, and hopefully there's another episode be, uh, that you can come and talk to to yeah, my business. Anytime, and... anytime. Just let me know how can I help. I'll come and talk. Okay? Awesome. Thank you, Emerald. Have Bye-bye. a great day and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.